Okay, we're going to move forward now. (laughs) Thanks for being here. Let's go ahead and uh, look to the Lord with a word of prayer. We'll get started. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us to sit and reflect upon your word. We thank you for the value that you have placed upon us because you've given us your word. We thank you for that. We thank you wholeheartedly for how you really do care about the little things as well as the big things in our life. Lord, we just praise you and thank you for this time. We ask that you bless this group, those who are still coming, and we give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we are back at the discussion with heaven, and we're going to go ahead and look at this Bema seat. I've decided to start from the top and go through it again just as a refresher for those who may or may not have been here and remember what we even talked about two weeks ago. Um, I barely remember what I talked about a couple of minutes ago, so... Uh, when, when you have that situation, you want to go ahead and just <laughs> go back over what you've discussed and, and make sure maybe the Spirit will impart something different that you didn't get before. We'll see. So what, this is one of the questions from gotquestions.org, which I highly recommend as a source uh, for all types of questions. Uh, it is on the web under gotquestions.org. It also has an app for your uh, iPhone, and I believe it has, I'm not sure, Roscoe, it may even have an app for your Samsung uh, pad as well, too. But the question, what is the judgment seat of Christ, Bema seat of Christ? <clears throat> Pardon me. And the answer starts with Romans 14, verses 10 through 12. For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Now, we need to understand and and make some clarifications as we go forward with this as far as what this judgment seat really refers to. I think one of the things that was discussed before, if I'm not mistaken, is that we discussed that this judgment seat of Christ is, in fact, a judgment seat specifically for believers in Jesus Christ. We all will have to give an account. This should be a very, very important thing for us to always remember. You know, it's it's amazing how... Often you'll read something, and boy, when it really the time comes, you forget about it. You don't really remember it. <laughs> but it's important for us to remember, and myself included, and my wife, and anybody else who's a believer in Jesus Christ, you have to still give an account for your life, even though you are covered with the blood of Christ when it comes to salvation. You still have to account for what you have done. And I think that's important for us to always remember. We have to give an account. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, we had a discussion a couple of weeks ago. What about those believers that are deathbed conversions? Well, the deathbed conversions, there's only so much you're going to be doing when you're on your deathbed between the time when you believe in Christ and when you pass away. But guess what? You're still going to have to give an account. And that account is going to have to still deal with those things of Christ that you're going to have to speak for. And those individuals, you know, what do you think someone who has a deathbed conversion is going to be able to really say when it comes to giving an account? There won't be a whole lot to talk about because we have to always remember that when you're in the flesh, those things are as far away from the Lord as they can be. When you're living in the flesh, there's only so much you can talk about. When, he, when Jesus talks about, or when, when, when the scripture talks about 
those things that we do are like filthy rags. And who remembers what those filthy rags were? What were the filthy rags that were discussed? I discussed it in a, in a sermon a little while back. What was the equivalent of the filthy rags? The filthy rags. Self-righteousness. Yes, but what was the description of the rags? What were the actual rags that were being referred to? It's menstrual cloth. You don't remember that, do you? The filthy rags were actually menstrual cloth. That's the equivalent of the works. That's, but, but the analogy is being made here that in the flesh, what you do only amounts to essentially what that is. And that's, that's something we have to... And, and yes, self, self-righteousness is, is obviously rooted in that. Yes, it's whatever you think you're doing, you're really not doing anything. So what kind of an account can you give in the flesh? You can't. There has to be not much. That's right. We as believers, we don't have any excuse. We have to give an account for our lives. This is why it's very important for you to make sure that you're doing everything you can do according to the ability that you have to speak for Jesus Christ, to live for Christ, to act for Christ, to be sensitive to the leanings and the, and the, the things that the Holy Spirit gives you as far as how you get that done. The Spirit is your helper to help you to be effective in Christ. Amen? The Spirit is the one who makes you effective. The Spirit is the one who gets people saved in the first place. He is the one who helps you with that. So we know we're going to become, make an account of, of ourselves to the Lord. We're going to stand before his judgment seat. 2 Corinthians 5.10 tells us we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. In context, it is clear that both passages refer to Christians, not unbelievers. The judgment seat of Christ, therefore, involves believers giving an account of their lives to Christ. Now, notice how it says good or bad. Well, obviously, when you perform well, there usually will be a reward for that. You're doing something good. And there's something that you might be given. We don't know what those rewards are. And ultimately, it really pales in comparison to the reward we have in salvation. Amen? Salvation is the biggest, biggest deal in the universe as far as we're concerned. That's the most important thing for us to be paying attention to. But we will want to have to be able to say to the Lord, you did this, and he knows what it is already. And you really want to be able to hear, well, well done, good and faithful servant. I mean, that's really what we all would love to have happen. But we have to earn that. We have to earn that. You can't just do it with platitudes. You can't do it by pretending You're not going to fool Jesus Christ. Okay. The judgment seat of Christ does not determine salvation. That was determined by Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. 1 John 2.2 and our faith in him, John 3.16. And so we actually did read those verses, so we're aware of those, and you're welcome to look at those on your own again, too. We also mentioned that John 3.16 is important, but we also said that John 
3.17 is just as important, if not more important. And we remember what, let's go ahead and turn to it. Um, John 3.16 and 17. You need to make sure that when you're communicating, and this again, the purpose of this class, this particular class, is to empower you with information that will help you to be able to disciple other people. We all know what heaven is, but there are aspects of heaven that we can only discuss based upon what scripture says, but we need to be able to speak intelligently about those things. John 3.16 is obviously a verse, you know, when you, in the old days, back when they had uh, football, well, they still have football on TV, but back in the old days, you might remember, they would hold, somebody would hold up a sign in the, in the, in the end zone, you'd see the John 3.16 sign, everybody say, where's John 3.16? And people started looking it up and they'll realize what it is. But John 3:17 is just as important. For God so loved the world, loved the world in this way. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. They gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. John 3:17 needs to be used with 3:16. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. We need to see the why behind it. Jesus was sent into the world to save humanity. He desires for every person to be saved. He did not come primarily to condemn the world. Ultimately, we condemn ourselves. That's important for us to remember. We condemn ourselves. His desire was to get people saved. How can you have someone who comes and saves and then condemns at the same time? Well, it doesn't work, does it? His sole purpose to come into the world was to get people saved. And that action, when he died on the cross, ultimately took and paved the way for every believer to have salvation. Thankfully, the Bema seat has nothing to do with that. That's all taken care of. Because if you didn't take care of that before you left here, you wouldn't be talking about a Bema seat later. It's a different thing that you'd be experiencing. Okay. All of our sins are forgiven and we will never be condemned for them. Go to Romans 8.1. Such an amazing thing that even though we sin on a daily basis, amen? We sin on a daily basis. I'll say it again. We sin on a daily basis. And even then, even with that information, we are not going to face condemnation because of our faith and belief in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus. See, these are things that we need to even just say and and emphasize over and over again. We're still in the flesh. We still live in the flesh. If anything, it's a hampering. It's a, it's, it's a thing that we, we have to just bear with, the fact that we're in the flesh, because we do things of the flesh. We think fleshly things. But we don't have condemnation. Romans 8, 1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And I'll read verse 2, Because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Under the law, we were all condemned. 
That's why Jesus had to do what he did. He knew from the beginning of time we would all be condemned under the law. All the blood and animal sacrifices for a billion years would not take care of sin for us. Because after we go through the ritual of doing the blood sacrifices and the cleansing and all the animals being sacrificed, and we did it to the letter of the law, guess what happens? Our flesh will take us right back out into the world again and sin once again. We wouldn't take care of it. There had to be an eternal sacrifice. There had to be Jesus Christ who does, takes care of this no condemnation. We should not look at the judgment seat of Christ as God judging our sins, but rather as God rewarding us for our lives. You like that? Rewarding us for our lives. Now, again, what did we just get through saying in John 3.17? He didn't come into the world to condemn us. He came in the world to save us. You are precious in his sight. And you're precious in his sight because he chose you. He created you. He wants you to be successful in this life. And your success, frankly, is in your salvation. That's where it comes from. Remember, your flesh can't do anything that is going to be a glorification of God. It doesn't mean that God can't use your actions. He certainly can. And he has done that. King Cyrus was used of God to do what? Recreate and rebuild Jerusalem. King Cyrus was, what, a pagan. But yet he was used by God. But that didn't change his paganistic ritual. Yes, God can use you. But that doesn't mean that what he's using you for is necessarily going to be ingratiating to him when it comes to your relationship with him. Why is it that people always fight and struggle with this whole thing about salvation? There's got to be more than one way to go. There's got to be more than one way to do these things. No, it's in Jesus Christ. That's the flesh that you're scuffling with. Remember, the flesh does not want you to come to a saving knowledge of Christ. That's Satan. Satan does not want you to do that. Some of us wound up coming to Christ when there was no other way to go. Backed into a corner. And some of us are like that. And, that, and frankly, those deathbed conversions, that's exactly what it is. There had to be such a humbling, such a, a, a point in that person's life where they said, I have nowhere else to go but to Jesus Christ. That's the epitome of a deathbed conversion. And I pray that no one in this room ever has to go through that. Yes. Right. And that may be. Because we're still a house in the flesh. But the point, though, that we need to always remember is a sincere conversion in Jesus Christ means that you're taken care of for eternity. Now that, and that doesn't mean that you can just go back and live the way you want to live. The Holy Spirit, who comes to dwell within us after we accept Christ, is supposed to help us with this old stuff. Amen? 
Everybody in this room knows what they were doing before they got saved. And I say that with a smile because I know what I was doing and it was nothing to write home to mom about or dad. (laughs) I remember um, one of my first experiences being outside of the house. I went to a party down at Case Western Reserve. It was actually a party where I was a DJ. It was in a dorm, you know, no big deal. Took all my records down there and I stayed out all night. First time I'd ever stayed out all night. Stayed out all night and didn't come home. I came back home. My mom and dad were sitting on the couch watching TV. And this was like about 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock in the morning. And they just looked at me. And I just looked at them and I just went away, went away to my room after that. It was kind of funny. But it was just that look like, where have you been? What you've been doing? And I really didn't do anything. But uh, it was just the whole idea. The flesh is going to get you in situations where you're not going to be looking good for the Lord. Amen? Okay. God rewarding us for our lives. He wants us to be successful. He wants us to live for him. He gives us the Holy Spirit to do that. So when he gives us the Holy Spirit, we have a responsibility that comes with that, don't we? He's enabling you to be successful, so why do you quench the Spirit? Why would you quench the Spirit? Because you would much rather do what you think is more important. Do you think that that action will earn you any rewards or accolades before that judgment seat of Christ? No, it won't. I'll answer it for you. It's the things that we do in the Spirit. Are going that are going to give us these accolades that we're referring to. As the Bible says, we will have to give an account of ourselves. Part of this is surely answering for the sins we committed. Oh boy. Giving an account means everything, doesn't it? Not just going over the good stuff. Okay, here's the good stuff you did. What about this stuff that you did that also did? That will not be a comfortable time. What do you think? It won't be a comfortable time. Because while we might have a memory where we don't want to remember those things, there is an account for everything we've ever done. Yikes. Really? That's just great. Everything we've ever done in sin. So I think we even had a brief discussion about this, too. Is this going to be a good time or is it going to be a a weird time or is it going to be a funky time or what kind of time will it be to be before that judgment seat of Christ? It's your choice. Oh, wow. Remember one of the things we said? That's a great point. It's your choice. Because one of the things we said is that our personalities remain intact. We were created just like this. The only thing we're not taking with us is our sin nature. But your personality is coming with you. But if your sin nature is being taken away from us as well, too, then that would hopefully mean that what's left of you is going to be a humble servant 
going before the Lord. On your knees. Because some of us have to be on our knees sometimes. (laughs) Yes, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. Yeah. 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 It's a good question. Yes. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's your hope, yes. Now, let's, let's be honest, though. This is not supposed to be the worst thing in the world, okay? This is supposed to be a joyous time. Yeah, it's supposed to be a joyous time. But it doesn't mean that you won't have to account for what you did. You won't have to, I mean, you may not have to get up there and say, explain your behavior. No, you, you want to probably go through all that. Because we already know what the reason for the behavior is. It's because you were in the flesh. Remember, that flesh is supposed to be gone. Pardon me? What am I going to say? Bringing up all of these sins, I'm going to say, yes. And I'm going to say, please forgive me. Yes. And I'm going to say, forgive me. You're already forgiven. It's already taken care of with the blood of Christ. All this is is just a, re- a recap of what you were doing. That's already done. Well, there will be knowledge of it. Remember what, what, it, what it says in, go back, go to Genesis chapter 3. Or is it Genesis 3? Let's take a look. Once again, back in Brother Beecher land. We do this. <laughs> no road map? Go to verse, go to verse 22. Now, this is after the fall. 3.22. This is after the fall. This answers your question, Joanna. Will we have knowledge of it? Of course we will. Because we already have it now. You don't forget it. It's not erased from your memory. You're going to have it. But look what it says here. In, this is talking about Adam and Eve. Genesis 3.22. The Lord God said, since the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Stop right there. That's it. That's the difference. That's the distinction right there. Because of your exposure to sin, you know good and evil. You know the difference between the two. You have the knowledge of it. Um, He must not reach out, take from the tree of life, eat, and live forever. Yes, go ahead. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. That I think it's going to be a time when we're going to be so 
Amen. Exactly. Amen. That's right. Yeah. How many times has God saved your life? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's right. It's all going to be rushing all together. You're exactly right. That's a great point. Yeah. How many times has God saved you? Salvation is only a one-time occurrence, but how many times has he kept you from harm, protected you to the point where you actually could make a decision for the Lord? That's what we have to look at here. We don't even know. That's right. We have no idea. There are things that we won't even, we'll never, well, we'll know eventually, but we won't, we don't know about them right now. So that's very important for us to see. We will have knowledge of it. We'll have an accounting of it. But I, I like Pearl's way of looking at it. We're going to be so grateful to be there that, you know, it's like, hey, praise you, Lord, for even getting me to this place. Because ultimately, that's going to be the proof in the pudding. The proof in the pudding is that we have faith that we have salvation. Amen. We have faith that we have this. We have faith that when we leave here, we will be before Christ, absent with the body, present with the Lord. We already have faith in that. But that's going to be the proof in the pudding when we get to that judgment seat, whenever that takes place. Okay? All right, so that's important for us to see and remember. We're going to have to answer for the sins that we committed. Now, understand that this is a question being answered by someone who's a scholar who's giving their opinion, how much are we going to have to answer for that? Well, it's going to take away from what? The things that we've done to a certain degree. You have to remember that sin can be generational. It has an impact down the road, just as your life in Christ has an impact down the road. It actually is not something that's just isolated. We have to remember that. It's not isolated. So just as, as believers in Christ, we have an impact when we're discipling other people and talking to people, and then people decide they want to come to the Lord, and that affects other people there that they're coming in contact with. Our sin does the exact same thing. The only thing that holds us together, frankly, is that God is the one who's in control of everything. If God were not in control, guess what? It would be chaos. Chaos. Some would argue we have chaos now. Trust me, you don't. We do not have chaos. We don't have it. And the closest thing to chaos is going to be after the rapture. That's when you're going to have chaos. Okay. At, yes, sir. Yes. Merit something, yes. They deal with his achievements. Very good point. That's right. If we are not condemned, is this dealing with our sins? 
or just dealing with something they really heard. That's a great point. That's a great point. We are not condemned. That's what we have to always come back to. The condemnation part is already taken care of. It's not right. Go ahead. This is a place of a war or reward. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and God is the one that's doing it. I don't think he's pointing a finger at us and say, you failed over there. You did this over here. Mm-hmm. You already know about it, right? It is an, it's an accurate assessment of what you've done. It's the overall product. That's what we have to look at. Scripture teaches that if our works does not measure up, they are just burned up. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. You may be a little different than most people. No. But that's just my view. No, that's that's a that's a good view. Who remembers the who remembers the the in the movie The Wizard of Oz when Dorothy and the Tin Man and all the all went up into the big castle, the Emerald Castle, whatever it's called, and they saw the the image of the Wizard of Oz. You think that the judgment seat is going to be anything like that? They're shaking in their boots. They're terrified. They see this big image. They hear this deep voice. Now, understand before you laugh at that. A lot of people who don't know the Lord, I don't think they have any idea what, who God is. Yeah, they may be just that. They may be exactly that. You know what I mean? You don't want to have to come before. And remember, as, as you know in the movie, that was just an image. It was just an image of something that some guy was male pulling all kinds of buttons behind a curtain. Don't come behind that curtain. Leave that curtain alone. Judgment. The, the ability to make considered decisions or come to sensible conclusions. That's the definition of judgment. It also means punishment. It also means punishment. It could also mean just an accurate assessment of what has happened. Yeah, it's what's happened. Exactly. You know, we make judgments all the time. Amen? And some of those things for your safety. I know not to go into a club... At two o'clock in the morning. That's a judgment. But what is that judgment based upon? It's based upon evidence that when people are drinking and someone gets into a fight and someone brings back a gun, you don't want to be there. That's just based upon experience or experiences you've seen other people go through. Now, I, have, I don't drink, all right? So, but you've seen the news enough to know that bad things happen at 2 o'clock in the morning at a bar. Well, that's a judgment. And some people make that judgment, and, you, and we do it all the time. But that's an assessment of what? The circumstances, the surroundings. Well, we're going to face judgment too. But it's going to be based upon what? You, the overall person. Who were you in Jesus Christ? You're either going to you're either going to be good, but it doesn't mean it's going to be a bad you know a bad experience. But we, in spite of that reflection, yeah, there could be some reason to go into a bar at two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> now you're starting something. I'm a witness. I've been laying down. I call it 
church a little later on. Yes. My brother called and said, come pick me up. And he's down at a bar. Yes. You may not know about this city, but we have a Howard Street. Yeah, I know about this. So, I know about Howard Street. That's where he was because he couldn't drive home. I see. And so I had to go there and get him. <laughs> and you know what he said when I walked through the door? Yes. Sit down, fella. <laughs> Sit down. We, we got we got way more information than we would originally have thought. That was a that was way more information. There, yes, I understand. So you, we thank you for. That's one good reason. Let the record reflect. Yes, there's one good reason to go. <laughs> well, please don't leave Sunday school talk about well. All they talked about in Sunday school is that there's one good reason to go to a bar in the morning at two o'clock in the morning. Did you have your hand up? I'm sorry. Yes. Yes. That's true. Oh, there was fist fight, yes. Yeah. 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 Back in the day, I get it. Okay. Different consequences. All right. Well, that was, that was invigorating to discuss, wasn't it? But you keep adding, brother. <laughs> yes. Someone could have seen me there and say, oh, not long ago he was in a bar. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. See, you ain't going to get me with that. <laughs> I don't know any of those people. I don't know anybody. Now, you ain't going to get me with that. All right. So we were talking about the judgment seat of Christ. So surely we'll have to account for those trips to the bar we made. <laughs> but God already knows. That's exactly right. At the judgment seat of Christ, believers are rewarded based upon how faithfully they served Christ. Um, there's a long passage in 1 Corinthians 9, um, verses 4 through 27. Let's go to 2 Timothy 2, 5, though. And it's important for us to note, note that Scripture gives us several analogies of an athlete and competition and endurance and staying the course, being steadfast, and finishing the race. Because when you finish the race, there's a prize. In, in the Olympics, we already know if you're in the top three, you get a medal. By just finishing that race. And the medal is not a huge amount of money if you were to take that medal and cash it in, okay? It's the point of finishing the race and getting a prize. Gold, silver, and bronze. But you compete and you work. And in order to compete and even train, you have to train for these events. You can't just sit up one day and say, Oh, yeah, I'm going to go run in the Olympics. Yeah, sure you will. You've got to qualify. How do you qualify? You've got to train for it. You've got to work at it. You have to go through the Olympic trials. The trials mean you have to compete against other people to get into the Olympics. And there's a prize. The prize for that is what? To get into the Olympics. There's all kinds of things that we are doing as believers that show we are actually almost in like an athletic competition. We are training. 
We are growing. We are learning. We are studying. There's a science even behind a lot of this stuff that we do. We have to study it. We have to train for it. Second Timothy 2.5 says, Also, if anyone competes as, competes as an athlete, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Oh, that's the other thing, too. You've got to play by the rules. We have rules. We don't like to call them rules, but they are rules ultimately in Scripture. Being obedient to Jesus Christ is an important rule. If you want to compete effectively and be the one who is serving the Lord Jesus Christ, you have to be obedient to his word. You have to follow his will. If you're not following his will, you're going to have a hard time competing. Because if it's not his will, whose will is it? It's your will. According to the rules. You know, it's really a shame if you're an, if you're an athlete and you're running the 100 meter dash. Two false starts, you're out. If you know anything about running races, two false starts, you're out. You're done. All that training I did, all that working I did, all that time I spent learning how to run the 100-meter dash, you're out. you gotta follow, got to follow the rules. you got to play by the rules. Those are the rules that are put in place beforehand. We, as believers, have to compete every day. How do we compete? We study. We look at God's word. We act on his word. We just keep growing and we endure. Running the marathon is one of the most grueling races you can run. 26 miles, 385 yards. That's, the, that's a lot of running. And what do you have to do? Are you is the fastest person? If you're running out like a 100-meter dash, guess what's going to happen? Your, your 26 miles is just about done. You've got to pace yourself. It's endurance. You have to pace yourself. You're going uphill. You're going downhill. You're running under sometimes very tough conditions. Sometimes you're going to run through very humid conditions. You've got to endure that. Guess what? That's the Christian life. That's the Christian life. In order for you to be able to go before the judgment seat of Christ, you're going to be rewarded on how faithfully you are serving him over the course of your Christian life. How faithfully are you serving him? That's what you're going to be judged on. Because ultimately, when you finish the... And notice how in a marathon, yes, there's one winner. But frankly, if you run 26 miles, 385 yards and finish that race, you all win. I don't care how long it takes you to get across the finish line. Isn't that the beauty, though, of being a believer? You don't have to do what the other person next to you is doing. You do what you do. You do what Jesus Christ gives you the ability to do. You don't have to compete against somebody else. Why is so-and-so always so successful? Well, what about you? Focus on yourself. I guarantee you, when the first time I ran... Any kind of length of time. I think I ran a mile. It took me eight minutes. I almost died. But you know what? I ran that mile. I told myself I'll never do it again. But amen. But you know what? I finished that daggone race. <laughs> I wasn't running against anybody but myself. 
but you have to endure. That's the Christian life all over again. That's that's all. It's a perfect analogy of looking at how we live as believers. Some of the things we might be judged on are how well we obeyed the Great Commission. Yeah, that's true. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, how victorious we were over sin. Romans 6, 1 through 4. Let's let's go to that real quick because I think we only have about three minutes to go here. Romans 6, 1 to 4. What should we say then? Should we continue to end sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. In other words, don't let the flesh be an excuse. Because we will say, when the devil made me do it. No, he didn't make you do anything. You have a choice as a believer in Jesus Christ. You always have the choice to do what's right. Absolutely not. How can, we, who we, who, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. We can walk in newness of life because we choose to walk in newness of life. I mean, this is how we give an account we have to make a choice. And, of course, the, the famous verse about controlling our tongues, you can read that on your own, James 3, verses 1 through 9. The Bible speaks of believers receiving crowns for various things based on how faithfully they serve Christ. And we already looked at 2 Timothy 2, 5 for that as well, too. The various crowns are described in 2 Timothy 2, 5, 2 Timothy 4, 8, James 1, 12, 1 Peter 5, 4, and Revelation 2, 10. We know there are crowns because they're mentioned. So those are their rewards. Now I'm going to tell you something. And this, is, this goes back to this mindset that we have when we go before the Lord. Remember, it's, it's up to you. If you are so grateful that you're before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ, what do you think is going to happen with those crowns? You're going to give them right back. You're going to give them back. You're going to be grateful to just to be there. It doesn't mean that you didn't earn them. You absolutely did earn them. But you're going to be so grateful for the experience of even being before the Lord. You're saying, you know what, Lord, thank you for this. But boy, you're the one who deserves all the glory. Our mindset, because our fleshly nature is going to be stripped away, is all about being grateful for Jesus Christ. Grateful for the opportunity to even be there. James 1.12 is a good summary of how we should think about the judgment seat of Christ. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. You know, we already have this big crown of life as believers in Jesus Christ. That we don't have to give back. We have that. But ultimately, what it's going to come down to is that we want to be able to say, you know, we want the Lord to be able to say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's your goal. That's what you want. That's what you want to see. Now, that's, you got the sin. That's all being accounted for. We all understand that. But you want to be able to say, have him say, well done, 
good and faithful servant. It's not a competition between other people. It's between you and the Lord. Amen? Amen? It's between you and the Lord. That's what we have to look forward to. So we need to look forward to it in a positive way. Okay. That was the second bell, so it's time to close. Just keep that in mind and reflect on this. Going forward, guys, this is, this is big stuff. You need to always be able to come back and say, Lord, you know, this is what I want to do for you. And always be sensitive to what the Spirit speaks to you about. I don't care how old you are, you're not done until you're done. Keep seeking the Lord. Amen? Amen. Father, we just thank you for this time to go over and be reassured by your presence each day. Lord, you challenge us to step up and do even more sometimes when it comes to trusting in you and having faith in you. We thank you that you trust us enough to challenge us for these things. Lord, we know you love us. We know you care about us. Enable us, help us to be able to be the best servants we can be for you. Help us to remain sensitive to the speaking of the Holy Spirit, to guide us into what direction we should take. And Lord, even if we're being still for a moment, help us in that stillness to be seeking after you with study and meditation and reflection so that we can be ready when you call upon us. And we thank you for those things. We thank you for this judgment seat. We thank you for the opportunity to come before you. And Lord, we don't want to view it as something to be afraid of or to be tentative about. But we look forward to that time we can come to see you. And we thank you and give you praise. We ask you now to bless the upcoming message and the speaker. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. See you next time.